In, in those days, even though it was after the, the Morris War, people were still uh, in universities, kind of the expectation that computers are there to, to, to play with us as, as students, like to learn on and to, to stretch their boundaries. And it wasn't a big deal if a computer or two got hacked, as long as it wasn't like an important system. And just so that I think I understand this, but essentially you had full control of the teacher's or the professor's computer, correct? Right. This is Rob Graham, an independent security researcher who is also known as a Rata Rob on Twitter. What if you could go back in time and make sure you made the deadline on a college assignment? That's basically what Rob did by hacking his professor. Rob is very well known in the community for having created MassScan, a tool that lets anyone scan the internet in just a few minutes. He's also pretty famous for his sometimes controversial hot takes on Twitter. Rob was recently at the ridiculed cybersecurity conference organized by the MyPillow CEO. He was one of the only actual experts there and one of the few people who wore a mask. This is Lorenzo Franceschi Bicherai, and this is My First Hack, a series that details the origin stories of hackers and security researchers. Hi, Rob. Thanks for being on the show. I'm very excited to have you here. Um, you're obviously kind of an InfoSec Twitter celebrity, so I'm sure that a lot of uh, listeners are just as excited. And yeah, thank you so much. My, my pleasure. So yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. What's your you know what was your first hack? What's uh, Rob's origin story? Well, as a hacker or as a geek or a nerd or a techie, there's lots of first hacks because I can think of like in grade school of like teachers would make bad tests. They would do things like they would say, okay, match these historical events with these dates, and they would randomize the dates on the right-hand side, but the historical events were like in order. Hmm. And so I, I didn't know uh, what the events were, but I could tell the teacher had done the test wrong. And so I got like a perfect score on this test, whereas like all, all the other students in the class struggled. Um, and then the teacher would make me uh, say, okay, Rob, now you take this, these uh, uh, tests and then go take them to the machine to grade to automatically grade them. They're the little fill-in-the-bubble tests. And I'm thinking, no, please don't pick pick anyone else because I do crap, but I got a perfect score. I know I got a perfect score because I hacked the test and not because I actually knew the content. <laughs> but luckily, they didn't catch me. But anyway, for computers, I, I think the, the, the biggest first hack was um, when I was in college and I had a programming assignment and the teacher told the students to email the assignments to their inbox and that they would be due on... Uh, Friday night at midnight. So uh, at 2 a.m., I get my assignment done. And of course, it's two hours past the deadline. And so I just simply change the timestamp on my computer. It's, this is not a hack yet. To before midnight. And then I set my my assignment in. And of course, it arrives and it's properly timestamped before the deadline. And I get graded and stuff. So uh, this is a new teacher. And apparently, you know... They hadn't really gotten wise to the ways that students like will evade their restrictions. So on a future assignment, same deal, Friday night, midnight. But this time, the email had to arrive on their computer 
because this is a university environment. We're all uni- using Unix systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has to arrive on their computer uh, before midnight. And by, by, by this, I mean it's, the email doesn't go to the cloud. It actually goes to their own computer that's on all the time mm-hmm. in, the, in their work office. Um, it has to arrive on their computer before midnight. Yeah, so it was you couldn't backdate uh, your document at that point, right? Because the email header say when it arrives, and so which is going to be different than uh, whatever I say is the date in the date field of the, of the mm-hmm. email header. Okay, that's great. So at four a.m., I I grab it when when I actually get done with it. Of course, now I'm four hours late. I don't remember the exact times. I know it was later than mm-hmm. my previous attempt to, 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 to mess with things. I grab a script kitty exploit and run it against their system and hack in and change their timestamp and then send my email and change your timestamp back again. So this was the first time I used an actual exploit. Mm-hmm. As what you would, you know, is the prototypical hacking. Mm-hmm. And this was many years ago. And I don't remember what the exploit was which is kind of really irritating me. Mm -hmm. So let's back down a little bit. So, you know, this is the second or another assignment after, well, it's the first assignment after the teacher changed the policy. Right. And yeah, you're late because it sounds like, well, you're just any other I'm student in college. I'm always late. It's just... <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of students are like that in college. We just wait and procrastinate and then we're a little late. And so like what inspired you to think, okay, I can just hack the teacher's computer and then I'll change the the timestamp. What are you already into hacking? Like, what's the context here? Yeah, so this was in college, before, back in the days when we were stupid. And so how things work was still kind of still a mystery to me. I was still struggling with basic concepts like what's the difference between a MAC address and an IP address, for example. And... Um, and I'd hang out on forums. Um, this was in the days before, you know, right before the web really took off and everything became a web page. And we would instead be using programs like Archie and Veronica to do searches of FTP and Gopher sites. Hmm. And so um, we would be exchanging these these zines, uh, just text files. Mm-hmm. That it, I think there's like textfiles.com that still has a sort of an archive of what it looked like back in, in the early days and people would be exchanging these things and it's back in the early days right before we coined the term zero day so back in those days we would have these scripts that we would run like a, a shell script or a little program that would uh, do magical things and then we would post them or they would post them in, in these zines that we would then read and then try out on systems and, and see if they worked and so, and, and universities were very much a, a playground for such things. I don't know how things worked in the real world outside the university where people would actually get mad if a computer was hacked. But in, in those days, it, even though it was after the, the Morris War, people were still um, in universities, kind of the expectation that computers are there to, to, to play with as, as, as students, like to learn on and to, to stretch their boundaries. And it wasn't a big deal if a computer or two got hacked, as long as it wasn't like an important system. Mm-hmm. So you clearly were dabbling into hacking and reading about it. Was it just a, a case that you realized, okay, I'm late, I need to fix this, obviously I can't go back in time. Uh, 
did you already have the exploit sitting somewhere? Had you used it before? Or you, you know, you started going through the text files on the internet and figured out what you needed? Uh, it was, I'd read it earlier that week and uh, was sort of, as the deadline was approaching, was sort of thinking to myself that I'd probably be going down this route of, of having to get to the, com- hmm. to the professor's computer. And it took me longer. I was expecting it to be like shortly after midnight, not like four hours later. Or it was a long time after midnight that I actually got done. Was sort of planning, knowing that I'd prob- probably be late, that I'd probably be doing tricks like this, and um, be like spending the next hour. But actually, it only took me like fifteen minutes or something to figure it out, uh, to try to figure this out, get into the system, and change the timestamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, so and. Just to make sure that I understand correctly, you downloaded the the exploit, you ran it. Did you need to do any sort of, uh, you know, what they call it, recon, like figure out what the system, what the professor system was, or did it just work? Or you already knew and it just worked? Um, I think I knew. Uh, I, I don't remember doing any recon. I just remember just grabbing the script, figuring out what the... the things were reading it trying to run it and then just giving the ip address and running it against the system and it worked mm-hmm. you know this, these are back in the days when like ports are like kind of like a a difficult concept of not really knowing like all the ports that are open on the machine so i just sort of assume that well i just sort of know yeah it might have been send mail i i, I don't know what it was or finger mm-hmm. i don't know i just ran it and it worked and i got a shell prompt and it's like a sort of a surprise that I have a shell prompt now on on this this computer, and so that's when you put on your hacker voice and said, "I'm in." Yeah, and just so that I think I understand this, but essentially you had full control of the teacher's or the professor's computer, correct? Right. And so, what did you do at that point? You changed the date, but did you do something else? Like, you know, what were the next steps? And yeah, I just changed the date. Um, send sent my assignment in and changed it back. Did you leave a? No, I I I didn't want to leave anything behind, and I, and I suppose I should have like made sure I cleaned the logs and stuff too, which I, I didn't do. So now looking back on it, it's also silly and stupid because now I have full understanding of everything that's going on. Right, I have written my own shell code nowadays and and stuff like that. So um, it all seems silly and and, and trivial and. Mm-hmm. nonsensical and uh did you ever use it this trick again or you were just on time next no. to the next assignments no i i really wasn't really into hacking for hacking sake i was into technology and trying to learn the technology and how things work so I, i've never been a hacker sort of dreaming of a life of cyber crime or of breaking into systems or of wearing a hoodie and and doing evil mm-hmm. stuff. I've always wanted to be like the person who understood how everything works, who wrote my own code, wrote my own exploits, or just wrote my own stuff that, that do things. Um, mm-hmm. And not, it, it's, it's, it's the joy of creating things rather than joy of, of, of breaking into things that really has attracted me to, to hacking. Yeah, that makes sense. I think uh, that, that's reson- that would probably resonate with a lot of our listeners and I heard that kind of story before. It's the curiosity. It's the yeah, the the thrill of of figuring out how to do things more than just you know, oh, I hacked somebody's computer. Yeah, a lot of hackers really have sort of a a joy of 
gaining control of someone else's stuff. It's sort of, it's fun to be in that level of control. That wasn't, that just wasn't me. Mm -hmm. So I guess you never told the teacher, obviously. You never told any of your friends. No, no, I just slinked away into the night. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So it was just a one-time exploit, uh, never reused, and I guess an end day, right? We should say it was a day. It, it I think it had been around for a while. This was still back in the days when things weren't patched, so it was in a zine, and I'd read it, and I tried it out, and I, it worked, and I didn't really pay attention to the details. Yeah, and, and I should explain to the people who are listening that an end day stands for. An exploit that is already known. I mean, and that's uh, the N uh, there means that it's been X number of days, N number of days. Right. So as opposed to a zero day, which is something that, uh, you know, the people who write the code uh, that is flawed don't know about it. So it's kind of like the best kind of exploit because, you know, it's going to work. Um, you know, sort of, I know that's not a super perfect explanation, but. Um, yeah, so so you know, looking back, I don't know how many years this is. You know, this is ago. It's a few years ago. Like, how did you know? How did this influence your career? Looking back, I, it didn't really influence it at all. Um, it, my career has my, my first job out of college was it was as a programmer, and then uh, that's really where my career has been as a technical expert rather than as as a security practitioner. So I've never been like a firewall administrator or a uh, someone who works with compliance or a SOC admin. That wasn't the direction. My direction has been uh, I write code, I write tools, I um, do stuff like that. That then gets me into things like, okay, now I'm doing pen testing because now I've gotten tools that help me do pen testing and that sort of thing. And how did you get to pen testing from just being a programmer, I guess? Pretty much by just... Never as a, a, a real pen tester, but sort of as a uh, ad hoc pen tester. So the engagements I've done have always been not people who said, okay, we need to do a pen test for compliance reason. It's like, we need to do a pen test because we really want to have an open pen test that um, thinks outside the box and does strange things. And that's the sort of direction I, I go in. Like, like this one pen test we did, um, we put SSH on a phone, on a jailbroken phone, and sent it to uh, the, the customer. And then, then we're able to remotely, from outside the building, SSH in and then do wireless scanning and exploitation from inside their organization, for example. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and it's, it's because um, I, I just do independent consulting now and, and able to just pick and choose fun stuff rather than following a script of having to do normal stuff. Mm -hmm. And so do you think that your career path is unusual, uh, you know, considering 
you know, the career paths of your friends or people that you know? Yeah, well, so I've never never gotten married or had a family. And a large part of that changes your, your focus on things because now you, you care about job stability. And when you don't care about job stability, it, it sort of changes your life and you, you become a, a different person. So there's like this class of, of itinerant hackers that, you know, the people that you see a lot at DEF CON or conferences who what they're doing this year is very different than, they were, than what they were doing three years ago. It's all in the same field, exploiting their, their same skill set. But it's they, they don't have this this progression of I got a job for a company, I work, I buy a house, I settle down, have a family. So there's a lot of us that aren't on that path, that are just on our own weird doesn't make any sense. It just some weird new opportunity that uses our skills appears, we go to do that and so on. Basically you went I feel like you're saying that you went wherever your curiosity brought you. Right. So given that, what's your advice for young aspiring hackers, given your experience? I don't know. There's there, there's a lot of things that really come down to more life advice rather than technical advice. Technical advice is just follow your muse. Is you learn so much better at whatever you're interested in. It makes sense to you. Don't beat your head against the things that you, you struggle with. Just put them aside. They'll make sense later. And just follow what you do understand and focus on that. But then there's also... that, that I would put that as technical advice about how to learn technical content. But for life hacking is um, don't get involved in all these in, internal political battles. Like you get a job out of college. This is something I didn't learn back then, but I've learned since. Is... And immediately, your first job and every white-collar job afterwards, uh, you, you get into internal corporate political battles. You're always in conflict with someone else. And for techies, that's usually over technical aspects. Like, you know, this is the way things work. No, no, no. This, someone else says this is the way things work, and this is the way forward. And you're always fighting those battles. And learn to step back and listen to them the thing that we we techies that that burns in our guts when we are in our job is the fact that no one listens to us and the reality is is that we're not listening to them is we're not asking them we 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 have an idea that we don't need to listen to them because we already know what they think but in reality they're in the same position they already know what we think pretty much and that's why they don't appear to listen and if both sides were to spend more time just asking each other things, it's not like you know we should do it for, for the good of the company or, or teamwork or any of that nonsense. It's for our own personal satisfaction. If they're not listening to us, then they really aren't because no one listens. It's useless for us to talk, to sit down and talk to them. And it's actually it, it actually works as a way of social engineering. Like you, you can be in a meeting mm-hmm. and... You can be the person that's in your meeting. You want the, the way forward for the project is to do X. And you're really behind X. But you know that there's other person in the meeting. They're behind Y. And, you know, there's, there's two camps in the meeting. You don't need to argue for X. You can actually just ask them, please explain to me more about Y. 
oh, I see, that's something I hadn't considered before. I think that that one thing that you mentioned there, it seems like a, a, a good idea. Even though I'm still on X, I still kind of like what you said about Y. And, oh, and yeah, the other thing, that's actually kind of a, a hole in, in X that, you know, I, I don't know actually a way around it. And so you're, you're, you're praising them. You're, you're not really praising them, but you're, you're, you're convincing them that you're listening to them. So that when you walk out of the meeting and you still haven't been convinced, it's not because you didn't listen. And it, it, it social engineers people mm. into wanting to know more about your, your approach, X approach. And either way, when you go home, you're not frustrated that they didn't listen because you didn't talk about your side. You asked them. And you, don't, you go home and you, you don't have that burning sensation. You know that you might not win the battle, but you're not frustrated by it anymore. Mm. So the, the point is, the life hack is to sort of rise above these petty squabbles that you have at work. Is don't let them eat you up inside. If you have a petty squabble, realize that it's both sides being petty. It's not just them. They're not just the, they're not, you know, this caricature you have of them like being evil and stupid. It's, it's not true. Just learn to, to live above that. And all your work then becomes so much more rewarding. I feel like that's going to resonate, resonate with a lot of people because I hear all the time, you know, pen testers or people who work at security, you know, in companies who are, that are not cybersecurity companies, so much of their lives is trying to convince their colleagues to do something differently, you know, not to use the same password all the time. So it's, you know, I can, I can feel that there's always a lot of frustrations from the security folks, and that can also lead to victim blaming, you know, oh, you know, this happened because you didn't listen to me and, and right. stuff like that. If, if ever you've reached the point where something bad happens because you didn't listen to me, they're not wrong, you are. Pretty much, it's hmm. it's yeah they've made the choice they've taken the risk but and it's frustrating that you know you pride yourself on doing a good job and they're not doing you're not getting your job done because they won't allow you but in reality it's up to them to accept the risk your your only job is to say this is the risk here's here's what it is and most of the time they're not going to accept it it's it's like everything in society it's like. Your countries will live in a police state like uh, China. And their idea of security is different than our idea of security, uh, for state security. We believe in a police force that um, we have you know, due process and we don't have to talk to the police. Whereas in other countries, they say, well, no, to catch criminals, we need to be able to force them to coerce them into, into, into uh, confessions. And so everyone's got a different risk versus security uh, uh, trade-off and just because you know that this is a risk in the company like you look at a website and you say well i did this little simple sql uh, injection query and it you know gets me to the database and obviously if you don't fix that some hacker is going to find it and they say well no we're not going to fix it and then like three months later a hacker comes along and and actually exploits it just mm. as you said it's very very frustrating but the reality is is they accepted the risk and that's okay it's you know it's you did your job and they did their job and that's and that's fine yeah and don't let yourself don't don't let that that burning cessation in your stomach when you get home like you know why won't they listen to me yeah and the the, the reverse side of that is well if, if you think that they need to listen to you well then social engineer them mm -hmm. it's like stop thinking of them as like people that who's who, who need to listen think of them as like cattle to be mm -hmm. driven uh, how do I social engineer them into 
whatever goal it is I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess in the case of your college self, you didn't have a choice to convince or social engineer your professor to well, accept no, 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 no. <laughs> a late assignment. So do you think, uh, do you think that, do you think it's possible that your teacher may, if they listen to this, like, or will they figure out that, um, you know, it was them? Oh, it was so, it was so long ago. I'm an old person, man. What would you what would you tell your teacher or professor um, if they were listening? Now? They wouldn't care. It's, they have arbitrary rules for students to follow, and it's it's not really important that I'm four hours late on my assignment. No one cares. Yeah, you know, a lot of these stuff we sort of dream that people care about things. They don't care. Yeah, that makes sense. As a, I was also I wasn't a, a great student, so I totally. Uh, sympathize and uh, I wish I had the the skills to to do something like that because I was definitely uh, sending assignments late as well yeah I, I think it's a big thing for a lot of hackers a lot of us are, are horrible students because we're not following the rules we're going off we're learning you know I learned lots and lots of stuff in college just not quite sort of synced up with the classes they were teaching me mm-hmm. yeah and that's also part of the curiosity uh, the hacker mindset I guess yeah Well, Rob, thank you so much. Uh, this was uh, very fun and also, I think, uh, illuminating in many ways and uh, a learning experience, hopefully, for our listeners. So, yeah, thanks again for being on the show. My pleasure. Selling a little? or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.